0: jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello travellers, I'm Jo Frances Penn, and in today's interview I'm talking to Ashley Cowles about her walk on the Camino de Santiago. So I've been wanting to walk the Camino for many years, and I'm still intending to do it before my 50th birthday. That gives me five more years as I record this, and I want to walk it all, delving deep into the pilgrimage experience. But the Francaise route, which is the most famous, is uh, kind of six weeks long. It's 600, 700 kilometres. You can see a lot of it depicted in The Way, a film with Martin Sheen, as well as in many books. Uh, that route, the front says, you walk from southern France over the Pyrenees into Spain. And I've been looking at the Mozarabic route or the Via de la Plata, which starts in Seville and travels north to Salamanca and then west. I love that uh, bottom end of Spain. It's just brilliant. So there are many books on the Camino and it's probably its own subcategory on Amazon at this point. And I would love to uh, add <laughs> to the many books on the topic. So why haven't I done it? Well, partly it's really long and uh, I run my own business and it feels like a big deal. Also, part of me wants to walk it alone as pilgrimages should be done that way. They are meant to be a challenge. And things are different when you travel alone. So you always meet people for sure if you travel alone. But also you don't have the emotional backup, which makes you more resilient. So you're tired and hungry and you you know, you're in pain, but you can't cry to your partner or your friend. If you're on your own, you just have to sort it out. And uh, my husband is not that keen on walking for that long anyway. So I may well get my wish of walking it alone. And my intention would be to write a journal or a memoir, um, but also to use it as the basis for a thriller on the route. And I've been thinking about this for for years. Seriously, I think I first heard about the Camino when I was about 15. So uh, yeah, what's that, 30 years now? (laughs) It's kind of crazy. And I've looked at it, I've looked at booking it and just I will do it. It's one of those promises. And now I'm glad I'm talking about it on this show because I'm I'm saying out loud, you know, I'm going to do it by the time I'm 50 and going to sort it out. So in this interview, Ashley, who has done part of the Camino, talks about her background growing up in a military family and how that has shaped her transitory moves, why the Camino is like the hero's journey and how it shaped the way she wrote her novel, as well as embracing the pilgrim's spirit and letting go of detailed planning, one of the most challenging aspects of walking several hundred kilometers. Now we also talked about the idea of pilgrimage when you're not religious. And I certainly I consider myself spiritual, but I don't subscribe to any particular religion. And the Camino is Catholic, but you certainly don't need to be a Catholic in order to do it. Any long walk is going to break you down <laughs> in so many ways, and everyone who walks it seems to be transformed by the way. So All of the Camino routes end up at Santiago de Compostela, which I actually wrote about in Stone of Fire, which is based on the idea of the stones of the apostles left with their remains. And of course, Santiago, St. James' Uh, his his remains are there or rumored to be there so i researched uh researched the, the the cathedral and wrote about it but still haven't been so i do look forward to taking photos of it one day so i hope you enjoy the conversation with ashley today and that it gives you some ideas for your own pilgrimage Ashley Cowles is the award-winning author of YA novels Beneath Wandering Stars and Below Northern Lights, as well as Wisdom for the Way, a Camino de Santiago guidebook for the pilgrim's soul. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me, Jo. It's great to be here. Oh, thanks for coming on. So start off, tell us a bit more about you and your own
1: geographic history. Sure. Well, like you said, I'm I'm an author mainly of young adult and historical fiction and a lot of my writing is rooted in my early life experiences, growing up in a military family. Um, So I was born in the United States, and I currently live in northern Michigan, which is where all my extended family is from going back to the late 1800s. But I've never – this is actually the first time I've lived here. Um, I've never actually lived anywhere for more than three years at one time. Uh, That's actually the – usually the tour or the assignment length in a, in a, in a mili- military family, you um, rarely live anywhere for longer than three years. And I've just continued that into adulthood. About three years, I get the itch to go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> and that's usually about the time we end up making the change. Um, so I'm still trying to beat that three-year, see if I could ever get past that three-year mark. Um but my dad, he was a uh, an officer in the U.S. Army. He was a medevac helicopter pilot. Uh, so I ended up spending my formative adolescent years living um, abroad in Germany. And that's where I fell in love with Europe and with history and with learning about other cultures. And that eventually led me to study abroad in Spain as a college student. And I have an aunt who married a Spaniard and lives in Madrid. So it was great to be able to spend that year living with her. Um, Then, you know, pursued an internship at a peacemaking organization in Belfast. um, And then, did a master's degree at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, So I've done some, you know, shorter excursions to Central America, to Africa, to the Middle East. Um, but I think because I spent those, you know, very visceral, formative young adult years living in Europe, that's the region that really feels like a second home and I just always have this longing to, to return.
0: Oh, wow. Well I know I know what you mean about that three year itch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was so we bought a house this year and we I haven't owned a house for a long time and I and it was funny because I had this real feeling of oh oh no, what what about when I want to move? <laughs> And then I was like, no, it's okay. You can rent it out. You're still free. It's fine.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. We just bought our first home and I had very similar feelings. Like what happens in three years? They yeah. say stay for at least five. <laughs> oh, that's
0: brilliant. It's so interesting. Many of the people I talk to on the show have this similar um, sort of feeling. Um, but let's, uh, so it's interesting. So you were in Spain and Germany. So do
1: you speak um, German or Spanish? Um, poorly. And I wish <laughs> I wish I could, you know, being American, that's one of the, the big downsides is you don't get to keep it up for, for very long. Um, if you, you know, once you once you move back to the States and don't have the opportunity to use it. Mm. So I did as as a teen, I, I spoke German well enough to get around. Um, but I actually had a even stranger kind of subculture experience of living on a US Army base, going to an American high school. That was in Germany. Um, we would, you know, I was a soccer player and we would go, you know, play um, military schools in, in Lake and Heath, England. We would go into in Belgium and Italy. And so we had, you know, this all these traveling experiences, but it was still very much a typical American high school experience mm. um, just with this international flavor to it. So, um, you know, I I can get by with German and Spanish, but not as well as I'd I'd like. Oh, that's that's an
0: interesting subculture as well. I mean, the military kid one and also the military kid in Europe, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is great. So um, today we're really talking about the Camino de Santiago. So um, first of all, in case people don't know, what is that and why write about that after all of the other things you've done?
1: Yeah, well, it's the Camino is a um, a pilgrimage route. Actually, it's several pilgrimage routes. There's not just one, but the Camino Francés is the is the most well known, the most popular. Um, it dates back to the the early Middle Ages. Um, and it's really experiencing a kind of of rebirth recently. Um, it's extremely uh, extremely popular walking route that people from all over the world travel. Uh, I know it's it's been very popular in Europe for for you know last decade or so, but it's really just I think starting to to catch on in North America, um, and it's just this very interesting. Experience of uh, an out, you know, a, a hike, a trek, but there's it's so much more than that. There's a, you know, a very personal, interior, spiritual component. Um, there's a cultural component, and in the historical one, you're seeing all these wonderful um, sites and monasteries and and churches, you know, dating back to the Middle Ages. Um, but it's also a very social experience. So it's it's quite a mixture. Um, And I first explored the Camino when I was a college student studying in Spain and actually had an opportunity to take a class on medieval pilgrimage. And what the professor would do is he rented a van. There were only like eight of us in the class. And so he would rent a van and every weekend after our our classes in Madrid, we would go up to the Camino and we would explore different sections of the route um, so we weren't really walking it as pilgrims, but we had this, this very knowledgeable guide who would take us to specific historical and religious sites and, um, you know, we would get to really explore them in depth. So that, that was my first exposure to the Camino. Um, and my first attempt to write a novel set on the Camino, it was actually a historical a historical novel. But as is the case with many first novels, I wasn't really there yet as a writer. So that story never made it out into the world. Um, and then in 2011, I actually went back to to the Camino and walked about 200 km- kilometers of it mm. as, a pil- as a pilgrim. Um, and that's where I got the idea to write a young adult novel, you know, from the perspective of a teen who had a, a similar upbringing to me, who lived this kind of unique Somewhat bizarre cross-cultural experience as a military brat, as as we're affectionately known. Um, but then I think what what happened is as I was walking the Camino, you know, of course with the novel, something has to happen to this character. So I had her background in mind, um, but I had been you know learning a lot about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, and it it struck me as I was walking the Camino, the Camino that the hero's journey is actually really built into the geography of the Camino. Um, So pilgrims will often talk about there being three stages to any pilgrimage on the Camino. So if you start out where, you know, most, most pilgrims start out in the Pyrenees, it's this very, it's a difficult, you know, rugged terrain, but it's this very breathtaking, beautiful scenery. You start out with lots of energy. That's kind of your call to adventure where you have a lot of enthusiasm. And then about the middle of, of the Camino, there is this section known as the Meseta. Um, and it's very flat and arid and dry. And a lot of uh, pilgrims talk about actually experiencing an internal an eternal, in, internal desert as well. So thinking about, you know, the abyss as part of the hero's cycle, the hero's journey. Um, and then when you get reach the end of, of the Camino, you arrive in the region of Galicia, which is this very lush, green, beautiful place, also mountainous again, um, and then you arrive to your destination, the cathedral in Santiago, and it's this kind of experience of rebirth. So I guess that's where the idea began is just thinking, you know what, the, the, the structure of a story is actually built into the geography of this route. Mm. Um, and so that's where I got the idea for Beneath Wandering Stars is this kind of coming of age novel. That pulls in my own history growing up into a military family, but also, you know, the history and culture and geography of the Camino. Oh
0: no that's that's fantastic and like you I always all my novels are like oh here's a character doing this thing and it might might be related to me in some way <laughs> yes <laughs> and the place might have been somewhere I traveled to so yeah winding our travels into our books I think is is really good so just um in case people I mean you mentioned the pyrenees but just to set set the camino in the world so the front says is the southern france you start in france don't you and then you walk over the pyrenees and it's across northern Spain to kind of the northwest side where Santiago is, Um, but what there are other Camino uh, routes, aren't there? You mentioned a little bit, but are there? You know, what are some of the other routes that people can walk?
1: Um, I mean, there's you know these little tributaries that go out into the rest of Europe. I remember walking the Camino and meeting someone, a German who had walked from Germany. Um it's not as as well worn and clearly marked the entire way, but he, you know, there are you know these ancient routes that go to different countries. Um, I, my brother in law, when he turned eighteen, he, as kind of his uh, you know rite of passage into adulthood experience, he walked through Portugal to to Santiago. Um, so there there's routes along the northern coast of Spain as well. So instead of walking um, the French way, which, again, is that the most the most popular, the most common route, you can walk along um, a coastal path in northern Spain. So there really are many. We we talk about the Camino, but there really are many, many Caminos. Um, and they all you know, the end point is 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 Santiago, but they. You can start in many different locations. Mm, And uh, we were in
0: Spain recently and read about um, the Moorish route, uh, the Arabic route, which is sort of Granada- Sevilla yeah. um up that route through Andalusia and um, that they've just kind of done that up and made mm. it uh, clearer because as you say it's amazing how popular some of these are becoming and I wanted to just mention that because um you know the Camino de Santiago does get very busy that Frances route now sometimes especially in um is it the year when the pope uh, jubilee year when all your sins yes. are forgiven
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes if there's any if there's any kind of holy holy year or you know, festival taking place. Um, yeah, that is going to be it's a very super busy. Avoid
0: that. the jubilee, I would say, unless you need all yes. your sins forgiven. <laughs> yes. But um, so, tell us a bit more. So, you said you walked uh, two hundred kilometers of it, and it is about six hundred kilometers. The front says, isn't it? So, was was that just the lot? And, and of course, two hundred kilometers is a long way. People listening, going, "Whoa, that's a long way." Um, so, tell us a bit more about that. How long did it take you? And what were some of the highlights of of that section?
1: Well, that took us about, I think about two weeks. And I really would love to go back and walk, you know, the entire thing, or as like you've mentioned, one of the less, uh, less traveled routes, less popular routes. Um, but it's interesting because I do feel like I have – I have been to most parts of the Camino. So even though I haven't walked it all in a linear way, I feel like I've kind of had that experience of being in the Pyrenees and then going through the the Meseta. Um, But I definitely would like to do it all at once um, at some point. Uh, But some of my favorite places were Osobrero is is one of the most memorable, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's this quaint little village in Galicia that's filled with these, it has these ancient round Celtic huts. They look like little hobbit houses. <laughs> um, and it's one of the hardest days of climbing on the entire Camino, but it's it's very much worth it. The views, it's just a beautiful place. Um, And for me, it was one of those traveling experiences where you visit the same place in uh, on two different occasions and you get to see how the experiences can be radically different. So the first time was, you know, again, as part of that that uh, course as a college student. Um, And we actually arrived by van at night. So we drove up to the village and it was in the autumn and it was just this very rainy, misty night that it kind of cast this very otherworldly atmosphere on the on the village. Uh, it was also very empty at the time, and we we cut, we kind of walked into this little town square, um, looking for our hotel. And there's bagpipe music blaring from a souvenir shop, but there's like no <laughs> there's nobody around, and we're looking at each other like, "Is this Spain? Where where are we? <laughs> this feels you know we've entered Ireland or Scotland or something." Um, so it's definitely not you know what most people picture when they think of Spain. Mm. And then the second time we I. I actually hiked up to that, that same village during my Camino trek. And it was late May. It was this beautiful, sunny day. It was very crowded. Um, and I was walking with, with, with friends at that at the time. And so we ended up, you know, enjoying wine and Caldo Gallego, this, um, you know, very rustic soup uh, in this little stone restaurant that felt like a medieval tavern. So, you know, just two very different experiences. And I, I love that, you know, when, when you travel a lot and you have a chance to go back to the same place, it's interesting to see how, um, how different it can be, you know, in, in the later visits.
0: Mm. So and you mentioned some of the historical places, the monasteries or the churches. Were there any uh, specific uh, sort of architectural things that you thought were beautiful or interesting?
1: Yes. So there's two off, you know, off the beaten path places literally because they're not they're not on the main Camino Frances, but you can Uh, they're not too difficult to get to from the Camino. So they're kind of little side trips. Uh, One is the the monastery of San Juan de la Peña, which is in the, the Pyrenees. And it's this really amazing 10th century structure, and it's built like right into the rock, into the side of the mountain. Um, And it actually has a lot of Moorish influences, which, you know, you see a lot of in southern Spain, as you mentioned, but you don't see a whole lot in northern Spain. So it's a very interesting, uh, just interesting historical site to visit. Uh, there's also the Church of Saint Mary of Iunate, which is in Navarra. Um, and it's a it's a small church built, it's built into the shape of an octagon, and it is believed to have some connection to the Knights Templar. Um, and it's just one of those mysterious, you know, thin places um, that you just feel, you know, feel something when you're there. Uh, my favorite scene from my novel is actually uh, was set at at that place. Um, so those are two of the the historic places that that I would recommend people look into that aren't maybe as well known or you know they're definitely not on the main Camino trail. Mm,
0: I do exactly the same thing. If I I, <laughs> I have a lot of scenes set in amazing churches <laughs> because I yes. think they're so amazing. Um, so. Obviously, walking two hundred kilometers for some people or this full six hundred, this is a physical challenge um, in itself. So um, t- talk us through you know some of the challenges, whether physical or mental that um, people might have on the Camino and also any tips for dealing
1: with those. Sure. Well, I I would definitely encourage people while walking the Camino, you see people of all ages and, you know, physical uh, abilities, you know, there's, I, there are people in their seventies walking the Camino. Um, You can really take it as, as, as slow as you'd like. Uh, There definitely are physically challenging parts, but it's not, you know, as, as challenging as some of the, the treks out there. Um, I think more of the challenges tend to be emotional or internal. And I think that's, you know, part of what makes makes it a pilgrimage. Uh, so for a type A control freak like me, you know, I, I am someone who enjoys planning the trip almost as much as going on the trip. Um, so letting go of that, that need to kind of plan out everything in advance and know exactly where we're going to stop and where we're going to stay. Um, that was in, just kind of embracing the pilgrim spirit was was one of the hardest parts for me. Um, but physically, I think if you you know do a bit of walking in advance, um, if you pack you know pack as lightly as you can, that's the, those first few days your 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 pack feels very very heavy. Um, but it's, it 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 gets lighter as time goes on, um, and people you know start to ditch things that they realize they didn't really need in the first place. Um, A good pair of boots. A lot of pilgrims will tell you that because blisters is probably one of your, you're going to be your greatest enemy on the Camino. Um, but it's, I think if you can really kind of maybe let go of the, the need to arrive at a certain place at a certain time and, and, you know, slow down a little bit and take it at the pace that you need to, just about anybody can, can walk the Camino.
0: Yeah, and I'm very similar to you. I mean, I do not like to not know where I'm sleeping. And one of the things I've heard, um, especially on those busy times, is it can you can arrive somewhere and the beds at the hostel uh, might be taken. (laughs) So um, how how did you deal with that sort of, where do you end up sleeping
1: for the night? Yes, um, that was a worry for me as well. Um, And I'll say, you know, the... It not turning out too well ended up being kind of a, a funny scene for my novel. So there is always that. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a story. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's always a story. Um, but you know, the the there's the the municipal hostels that are less expensive. So those tend to be the most the most popular and they can fill up uh the most quickly. But what I found is that in most places, there's there's private hostels, there's usually other, there's bed and breakfast, there's other accommodations. And the Camino, at least the, the Camino Frances, I can't say this, of the um, less popular routes because those ones may be a little bit um, more, there may be you know some, some stretches where uh, there's a bit more distance between towns. But on the Camino Frances, there's always, you know, a village, a town, um, you know, not too far ahead. So it may end up being an extra long day of walking, uh, but you can usually find a place to, to find shelter. And there's, you know, a variety of, of different options um, in most places. I think it's just, you know, if you're really on a budget and you're wanting those really cheap hostels, that can be um that may be a stressor if that's if that's kind of your goal. But if you're willing to say, okay, I may not I may end up having to pay a little bit more to stay in a private uh, hostel or a and I think you'll usually find a place. Um, and I've also just met, you know, Lots of pilgrims who had some kind of remarkable experience of hospitality where, you know, either through a local who lived along along the route or through other pilgrims, they they ended up finding a place (laughs) that makes the Camino special is kind of opening yourself up to, to allowing those kinds of experiences to happen. Yeah, and as you say, just kind of letting that that
0: go a bit. Um, but no, it's good to know that there are I mean it is that Francaise route, as you say, it's commercial enough now that there are other things that you can find places to stay. And what about um what about food on the route? Because of course, like you said, you want to travel light, so you're not going to be carrying like a camping stove and all of that type of thing. So what are some other food and drink options?
1: Oh, they're, they are plentiful for the most part. Um, my, th- one of the friends I traveled with jokingly called the Camino, the vino Camino, because <laughs> <laughs> you can find, you know, very good, uh, inexpensive Spanish wine along the entire route. Um, and you know, there's, there are lots of places to enjoy, enjoy Spanish cuisine, which I think is one of the, you know, kind of unique, interesting things about this. You're not really roughing it as far as, you know, a culinary experience goes. Um, and there's a, it's called the the menu del dia, the menu of the day, a lot of, of the cafes and restaurants will have a special a menu for, for pilgrims that's often discounted and kind of all inclusive. So that's something to look out for. And it's, it's pretty affordable. And it allows you to try a lot of different, uh, you know, cuisine options without having to think too too hard about it. You just order the the pilgrims menu for the day, um, so that that is definitely you know not something I I think most pilgrims have to, have to worry about mm. food. <laughs> yeah, we I would say though that uh, being
0: vegetarian in Spain is difficult because it's a very meat based culture. Don't you think?
1: That is true. Yes, there's there there's Uh, tortilla española, spanish omelet is a very if you eat eggs is uh yeah you can't be vegan like to get away from cheese and (laughs) eggs will never happen (laughs) that would be that would be a challenge for sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) so just then on on um a budget that people might consider because of course i mean again i've thought about this so to do the full 600 it might be six, five, six weeks, seven weeks, if you need a bit of extra rest along the way, um, which for many people is, is a pretty big trip. So what, what would you, what would people be spending? Of course, if they weren't staying in private accommodation every night, but equally, you know, we're not living a completely basic life.
1: Yeah. So I'm, so I walked back in 2011. So I always have to factor in exchange rates and all of that, um, but I, if I remember correctly, the municipal hostels. I think you could get a bed for I, I want to say between like twelve and fifteen euros a night. Um, mm. I don't, I don't know if that's that's changed. I imagine the prices have gone up since two thousand eleven. Sound, it sounds about right.
0: As okay. in, I would have said maybe twenty euro, um, which is what about
1: eighteen dollars, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Did I say pounds or did I say euro? Yeah, I meant you to said say you said euro. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say euro. Yes. So I would say you you probably, you know, can budget about 20 euros for accommodations, unless of course you want to stay in a private room um or you know in a nice B and B, it's it's gonna be a bit more.
0: Yeah, and then food on
1: top of that, what would be 10 euros? I think so. If you stick with the the pilgrim menu of the day, um maybe between 10 and 15 euros.
0: Yeah, exactly. So basically, we're saying it's, you know, it's not, it's not a luxury holiday. <laughs> what <we> talking? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, which is great. Okay, so then I, I just want to ask you, I mean, you mentioned um, that it was sociable, you met someone who walked from Germany. And, you know, you, obviously, you meet different people every day. Um, but you know to me, see,'m I'm, I'm married and you know the thought of six, seven weeks away from my husband is difficult. and yet I think it should be done alone. Um, so what are your thoughts on on doing it alone or in a group and and also on meeting people along the way?
1: You know, I, I agree. I think it there is something very powerful about doing it alone. Um, I I did walk with friends and it was a wonderful experience to share together. But the the very kind of extreme introvert in me (laughs) at times longed for a little more solitude. Um, and there's definitely stretches on the Camino where it's a bit more secluded. And since you do have a good idea of where you're going to end up the next, you know, at the end of the day, you usually have a point that you think you're going to be able to reach. Um, it's easy to get some solo walking time in and just, you know, tell the people that you're walking with, you'll meet you. You'll meet them in the next town at the end of the day. Um, but I, I I agree The the pilgrims I met who seem to have, you know the most powerful experiences or just they met the most interesting people uh seem to be the ones who were walking alone when you when you're walking in a group with other people you you know uh, you know strangers don't tend to approach you as often um and so those who who walked solo they they met all kinds of interesting people um and formed these kind of little communities along the way where they uh, would see someone at the beginning of the route and then run into them again at the end um, and their paths would kind of cross but they were still you know walking solo and had this this time of solitude um, so there's there's pros and cons to each but walking the entire you know six to eight weeks um, alone is an experience i definitely want to have uh, myself one day um oh go ahead
0: no, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 45. I still haven't done it. And it's kind of, and I'm like, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. It's going to be next year. And I keep thinking that. And I really, yeah, I really feel I I want, I want to sort of achieve that.
1: It's a really weird thing, isn't it though? Yes. Yeah. And even, you know, if you did end up walking with someone, um, just kind of a, a practical tip. Uh, so the scallop shell is a, uh, the symbol for the the Santiago Pilgrim, and pe- you know, you can see them. They're they're everywhere. They're sold all along the route. Um, and so, if you do end up walking with people, I think you know, having this shell that you can kind of use as your introverted symbol for when you need some alone time can be. I found that that was kind of a way to communicate to others, like I need to go off and walk by myself for a while. If I would, if I was wearing the shell, without having to say like, "Hey guys, I want to be alone." Mm. Um, and so, you know, cu- coming up with some kind of, of symbol or way to communicate with those you're walking with as, uh, you know, now is time for my, my Camino solitude um, can be, maybe be a way to kind of uh, lessen tension if, if walking with other people.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And I mean, of course, the other thing is uh some people don't have this as a life goal. So sometimes you end yes. up doing it on your own because someone doesn't very, want to come too. <laughs> very very true. <laughs> but now I want to get into the idea of um, pilgrimage versus a long walk. Um, now, I mean, I'm not a Christian, um, but I consider myself spiritual. And I you know I love monasteries and churches and, uh, and nature. And I feel like it would still be a pilgrimage, even though I'm not a Catholic, and I believe my sins will be forgiven or whatever. So what, what are some of the things that make the Camino a spiritual journey, uh, even if they're not necessarily uh,
1: religious? I think that's actually one of the most interesting things about the pilgrimage in, you know, our, our current day is the fact that it's it is you know rooted in Christianity and in Catholicism. And it has it feels very medieval. Um, but the modern pilgrims walking it today are people coming from all different backgrounds, different faiths or no faith at all. So I think, you know, you, you wouldn't you would never feel out of place. Um, it's a very open and welcoming environment. Um, as far as, you know, the difference between a pilgrimage and a long walk, I think uh, I actually just heard this quote yesterday, uh, tourists pass through places, places pass through pilgrims. Um, and I I just I love that tourists pass, tourists pass through places, places pass through pilgrims. Hmm. Um, and I think that's I'm still kind of trying to figure out what exactly that all that means. But I think it really does describe what a pilgrimage is. So, you know, a tourist, we're often looking to, you know, maybe check off the boxes to to see certain things, to have certain experiences. We're very much in the driver's seat and it's about reaching that destination. Um, whereas a pilgrimage is more about letting the places shape you and it's it's more of, of this interior journey. Um, and I think really, you know, you'll meet pilgrims who keep going back, you know, oftentimes when we, when we visit a certain place or complete a certain hike, we kind of feel like, okay, I've done that. Uh, I've achieved that goal. And I find it very interesting that the Camino, there's lots of people who return over and over again. um, And they, they'll describe it as addictive actually. Um, And I think, I wonder if part of that is because it brings up, you know, all these paradoxes and tensions that are just kind of part of being human. So it's both, you know, it's a journey that's very physical, but it's also very internal. Um, it's this time of, of solitude and introspection, but it's not, you know, like hiking, you know, in the Rocky Mountains where you're not going to see people. It's There's there's community um, as well, and it's there's a social aspect as well, And, you know, like we, like we discussed, it's a very simple journey. It's not, um, a luxurious (laughs) experience, but there's also still creature comforts of great food and bottles of wine for two Euro. Um, and you know, it's, but it's, it's this marked route so you can follow without really having to think too, too, too hard or do much planning. You can just follow it, um, And it's actually, you know, more rewarding if you resist a a strict itinerary. So there's all these kind of tensions and paradoxes. And it's just this very holistic experience where, you know, mind, body, spirit, they're they're all brought together. And I think, you know, that makes it a very human experience. and, And as a result, a spiritual one, you know, regardless of what someone's background or beliefs are.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, and I don't know where my attraction to it came from, but it's, it's a lot, it's old. I, I, I must've read about it at a a young age and, uh, you know, feel an attraction to it on, on so many levels. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic. Uh, so is there, I guess, your books, obviously, um, you've got Wisdom for the Way, um, which I think has both storytelling aspects and also uh, some spiritual side of it as well. Um, are there any other books that you recommend
1: about the Camino or pilgrimage? Yes, uh, there, there's actually, a, there are many, many books about the, the Camino. And, you know, it's a very popular Topic for for memoirs. Um, so uh, a, moder- a a more recently published memoir about the Camino that I'd suggest is "Walking to the End of the World" by Beth Justino. Um, and you know she's interesting because she's she maybe like you isn't isn't walking the the Camino for. Uh, you know, a, a reason of of, of faith, or um, that's not her primary motivation. So it it was very interesting to read about the the pilgrimage through her experience. Um, for anyone interested in the actual history of the Camino, you can actually read a 12th century guidebook, uh, written I think it was by a monk in the 12th century who walked. <laughs> The Camino and, and and documented his experiences of different locations. Um, so that's called The Pilgrim's Guide to Santiago. And there's a version of it edited by William Meltzer. And, you know, that's easy to find on Amazon or other places. Um, and then uh, another book that isn't about the Camino or even about pilgrimage in particular, but just is about, you know, walking and its role with uh, how it influences our creativity. It's it's a very just interesting philosophical uh, book. It's called the, uh, the Old Ways by Robert McFarlane. Um, and I'm about halfway through that one. And it's it's wonderful.
0: Oh, he is amazing. He's like a national treasure here in the yes. UK. I'm actually reading his uh, Underland at the moment, uh, which is completely not about walking. It's about the un- uh, what's under the earth and Caving and um, you know graves and things like that, but he he is probably one of our best um, nature writers. So I'm glad you recommended that book. <laughs> well,
1: I, well, I just discovered him, and I was like, I, ha- I bet he is very well known in the UK, but he's brand new to me, and it's it's been a, a wonderful introduction.
0: Introduction, yeah. Well, I can I can recommend all his books. He's a beautiful writer. <laughs> He's actually one of those writers I'm like, "Oh, I just can't write any other book ever because yes. he's so
1: amazing." <laughs> we we all
0: have those, <laughs> the imposter syndrome. Um, yes. Fantastic. So, um obviously you you have travel in your in your background and in your life, but what does travel mean to you in a in a broader sense, both to you personally, I guess, and to your writing process?
1: Yeah, well, uh like I've said, I think it's just it's it's, it's it's in my story, it's in my upbringing, it's in my background. Um, and so that's definitely, definitely part of it. Um, I don't really, you know, I I think those of us who have this wanderlust, it's hard to know where it comes from, why, why we have it. Because <laughs> um, I, you know, my sisters have the same exact, I have two sisters, they had the same upbringing, Upbringing that I have, or I had, and they've, you know, spent most of their adult years in one place. So, you know, the the wanderlust bug didn't didn't bite them as it did me. Um, But as far as you know, travel and in my creative process, I'm I'm a very driven person in normal life, and I can easily get tunnel vision when it comes to to my goals and pursuing them. And, you know, travel it just really helps me slow down and see and notice things that I I wouldn't otherwise notice. Um, It makes me feel like I'm in my body instead of just in my head all of the time. It is, you know, it allows me to capture certain emotions and so it's definitely influenced my writing more than anything else. Um, You know, every, everything I've written, every novel manuscript, there are always, you know, memories that even if I don't include Um, You know, even if the book isn't set in a certain place, and I'm, you know, in a very literal way, recounting uh, a a certain experience or a certain uh, uh, scene, a certain place, the memories of of my travels and the emotions that certain experiences produced, those get brought into into the fiction in some way, uh, even if they look very different from what the original experience was.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I just tend to kill people in my locations.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> just you're look, looking for new ways to kill people. In yeah. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: I, one of the reasons I I mean I feel like I would do the Camino and write two books. I mean, similar to how you have, I I but I would write a some kind of thriller and and probably then a memoir as well, which would be different. But it feels like it would generate both story and introspection um, about the world.
1: Yes. Yes. I can see like a very, like the name of the rose kind yeah, of exactly. thriller <laughs> set on the Camino. That would be a book I would want to read. For sure. there we go.
0: I'm, I'm reserving that one, but I do like what you said there about, um, you know, travel and probably walking a long way as well as, you know, being mm-hmm. in your body and not your head. I feel this is so important for modern life. You know, we can, we can travel through the, through our phones, you know, by holding our phones near our faces, but, um, you know, by actually Actually moving your body in a new culture, in a new setting, can just be so different to looking up pictures of of that place.
1: Yes, I, I agree. It's you know, Pinterest and YouTube, they're great for doing doing research for for writing, but there is something about I think it's it's the, the emotional connection. It's not just the description. But the way you felt about it, you know, the way you feel about a certain location, a certain um, encounter with with, uh, you know, a colorful character um, that you that you meet in your travels, that those are the the real treasures that that, you know, we can gain from from traveling as as creative people. Fantastic.
0: So where can people find you and your
1: books online? Well, you can, you can find me uh, or learn more about me on my website, Um I'm on Instagram at the same name and my books are available, you know, on Amazon and pretty much all the, the usual online places.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ashley. That was great. Thanks, Joe. I enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpencom forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.